as, as we just saw, uh, contained in it is everything that we need for life and godliness. Um, thank you that your Holy Spirit is always at work reminding us of what you taught. And Father, I pray that your Spirit would work in us as we look at it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, so speaking of that, wouldn't it be great if you could just hear one sermon or go to like one, what do they call it? They call them master classes now. Uh, you go to one master class or, uh, you know, pray one prayer, read one book, and instantly, like, you're a perfect Christian. You got it all together. Wouldn't that be great if you could just kind of do that? Uh, like, all your bad habits would be gone, all the things about your life that you're like, oh, I just, I hate that I do that. Like, it would just be gone. And all the things about the Christian life that you're thinking, oh, wouldn't it be great if I could be that kind of person? It would just be there instantly. Like, wouldn't it be great if, if it could happen like that? Um, well, that is, in a way, the ideal kind of life that Ephesians has been talking about, uh, from chapter one all the way up to where we are in chapter four. It's talked about putting off the old self and putting on the new. It's talked about becoming this new person. In other words, uh, the word we tend to use in our church is renewal. Uh, that actually God is making us into these new people who are like his son. And all the old ways of living that we want gone are gone, and all the new ways we desire uh, are here. And so Ephesians 4 is all about this renewed life, or uh, you could put it another way, like a mature Christian life. So wouldn't it be great? You could just snap your fingers, and that could happen. And even in our passage that, uh, that was read, in chapter 5, verse 1, at the very end, it says to follow God's example. And then in chapter 5, verse 2, it says to walk in the way of love just like Christ. And wouldn't it be great if we could do that? But we know, don't we? That, that's, just not, that's just not our reality. And I don't know about you, but I read passages like this, and I think, wouldn't it be great if growing as a Christian was like The Matrix? Has anyone seen that film? I know some of you probably haven't. But so let me just give you a little bit. The Matrix is this movie that essentially, it's a sci-fi, okay? And it supposes that everything that we experience here is just a computer simulation. Okay, that's the assumption that it's making. Uh, but in the film, there's these people who, like, they wake up and they, they realize this is going on. And they figured out a way, almost like downloading an app to your phone that they could download a skill or a, a set of knowledge into your brain so that when you go into the matrix, into the simulation, you've got it. And so there's my favorite, one of my favorite movie lines of all time is from the matrix. And Keanu Reeves is getting this information downloaded into his brain so that he can fight people in the matrix and win the, win the day, basically. And they hook him up to this machine and he jostles around for a couple of seconds and then he wakes up and he just goes, I know Kung Fu. It's a great movie line. It's like one of the greatest movie lines of all time. He just wakes up. I know Kung Then wouldn't it be great if growing it as a Christian was like that? You could just download it the, the way you download an app onto your phone. Just instantaneous switch. You have it all. And if you're not a Christian, don't you wish Christians were like that? Like if you're not a Christian, don't you wish that all Christians were what they said they, they are? Uh, and then maybe if they were, like you'd become one. Don't you wish that? Um, well, the gap between who the Bible says Christians should be and who we actually are, that's what today's passage is all about. Um, and what we're going to see is that becoming a renewed person or this mature Christian, one who really knows God, who really loves God, who really loves other people, it's not instantaneous. That actually, it takes time. Um, and so for all of us, the tension that you feel between who you want to be right? Like who the Bible says you should be and who you actually are today. That tension is real and all Christians live in that gap. So that tension that you feel in your life, that's the gap that we all live in. 
the good news is the authors of the Bible, they're aware of that. And so woven through the Bible are passages like this one that show us how to bridge the gap, shows us where we fall down and where we need to be. And then it actually, this one is very practical, how to become more mature, how to like actually bridge it. Uh, and so in order to do that, we have to discover uh, there's a principle in here and there's a focus. So we need to discover the principle and the focus of a mature Christian. The passage gives both, but before that, it actually gives some examples. So three points today. Number one, examples of a renewed life. Number two, the principle behind a renewed life. And number three, the focus of a renewed life. And so let's just jump in. So first, the examples of a renewed life. And so the purpose of this passage is to very, very, very practically show us how we can put off the old self and put on the new. Remember, that's what we talked about last week. Put off the old self, put on the new. Um, and it shows up again here in verse 25 when it says to put off falsehood and to speak truthfully. So there's that imagery of like putting off these old clothes and putting on something new. Um, and last week's passage, Paul was a bit more theoretical about it. And this week he just gets really down into the nitty gritty. Um, and uh, in this week's passage, he gives us five, uh, a, a list of five things, um, five ways that maturity or being renewed, it actually transforms our life. Um, it's not an exhaustive list, but here are the five examples. So renewal transforms our relationships to things like, so this is a representative, uh, truth, anger, money, speech, and forgiveness. So these are not exhaustive, but they're representative. Um, and in every single example, in one way or another, Paul essentially says, put off this old way. Uh, he says it in lots of different ways, but essentially he's saying, put off this old way and put on this new way. Put off lying and put on truth. Put off stealing and put on giving. That's essentially what he's getting at. And so we're going to look at these five examples briefly. And the first one uh, that he talks about is truth. So look again at verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So in other words, this one is replace lying with truth. Replace lying with truth. Uh, lying, he's saying, is the old self. And, you know, why do we lie? Think about it. Just think about this for a minute. Why do we lie? Well, self-preservation, right? We want to protect ourselves. Uh, we want to protect our resources. And so, uh, so we might lie in order to, to protect ourselves. Or we might do it for self-gain, right? So we want to advance our career or to get more money. And so you might lie in order to, to gain something. Uh, or uh, maybe to avoid shame. I just don't want to be found out. And so I'll lie. Uh, There's just three reasons why we might lie. Um, but all, notice what all of those do. All three of those, they actually break down relationships rather than build them up. All three of them. In other words, lying causes division and not unity. Uh, but in verse 25, you remember it says, for we are members of one body. And what's he talking about there? He's talking about the church. He's talking about a group of, of people who are united together. And so how could you be one body, one unified body, if there are divisions that are being caused by lying? So the church is lying to each other, you're not one body. Um, and so the first example is that mature Christians, they actually have a new relationship to the truth where truth is the priority. Uh, mature, renewed Christian is one who tells the truth. That's what it's saying. So that's the first example. The next example in here is anger. So look at that one, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, this one is really fascinating because what, what do you expect Paul to say? You expect him to say, uh, put off anger and put on peace, put on calm, right? That's what you expect him to say. It's not what he says. 
Uh, it's actually, uh, he says, in your anger, do not sin. It's actually a quote from Psalm 4. So Paul's not even coming up with his own ideas here. He's actually taking it straight from, from Psalm 4. And what's he saying? Well, he's actually assuming anger. He's assuming that you will be angry. Um, and uh, he's assuming that at times um, anger is going to come up. And it's actually, this is really helpful because the Bible's view is not that Christians are somehow supposed to be people who don't get angry. You actually don't want to live in a world like that. If you, if you think about it, you don't want to live in a world where there isn't anger. Um, so the view here is not that mature Christians are somehow free from anger because there's all sorts of things that we should be angry at, right? We should be angry at injustice. We should be angry when uh, the powerful and the wealthy push down the weak and the poor, right? We should be angry about that. Uh, we should be angry... Um, when the innocent are killed, we should be angry, right? We should be angry when those things happen. And lots of people think there's only two ways to deal with anger. One way is to vent it out, right? To explode, to react, to just get it all out there. And then the other way is to suppress it, to bottle it up. But neither of those are the Bible's way of dealing with anger. The Bible's way is to somehow, it says, be angry and not sin. So somehow you're supposed to be angry, but also at the same time not sin. Uh, now, the fifth example um, that we're going to see in just a minute ties into this. But for now, just look at the second half of verse 26. It says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now, what's that getting at? It's getting at some form of reconciliation. What it's saying is that the way to be angry and not to sin is to not let the sun go down. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Is to not let the sun go down before you've attempted to reconcile your anger. So the way to be angry and not sin is to, is to not let the sun go down until you've tried to deal with it in some way. So in other words, sinful anger, if you were to look down at verse 30, uh, 31, I mean, um, it harbors bitterness. It's reactionary with some kind of rage or brawling or slander. It, it's all down there in verse 31. Sinful anger means that you won't let the sun go down before you've harbored bitterness before you sat there and seethed on it. Sinful anger means you won't let the sun go down before you've reacted in some way with rage or slander or even malice. But the Christian way to be angry is to somehow reconcile it today, to somehow deal with that. So what's it saying? It's saying that um, we're to replace sinful anger with righteous anger, and that's the second example. And by the way, I think you can see by now, I'm not going to directly apply these examples. Uh, I'm not doing that because the passage doesn't really... Uh, so the point exactly of the passage. So that's number two. So number one, new relationship to truth, we become truth tellers. Number two, new relationship to anger, we become the kind of people who are angry but without sin. Uh, the third one um, might actually hit closest to home because that one is about money, finances. They're usually the last thing that uh, Christians are willing to let Jesus Christ be lowered over in their lives. It's like, Jesus, I'll give you everything but my bank account. Uh, we'll look at verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. In other words, it's saying replace stealing with giving. And rather than taking from people, give generously to people. And of course, before you can give, you need to earn something. So there's a transition here from taking to then getting, right, to earning to then giving. Uh, so a mature, renewed Christian is a person who gives generously to those who are in need. 
That's number three. The next example is our speech. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, what this is saying is that there's a way of, of talking that tears others down, and there's a way of talking that builds others up. And remember, all these examples have to do with how a church can be one body, one unified body. And so the unwholesome talk actually has more to do with gossip has more to do with stirring up dissension than it does with swear words and coarse joking, although that might be in Paul's mind too, and it comes up later in chapter 5. But very practically, what this is saying is that a mature Christian doesn't gossip. So a mature Christian doesn't, you know, pick up the phone and send the text that says, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? A mature Christian doesn't do that. Or a mature Christian doesn't stir up dissension or try and cause with other people in the church to be like, hey, uh, I don't like this thing that the church does, and I'm going to try and get you to not like it. Or I don't like this person in the church, so I'm going to try and get you to not like them. That's, that's what Paul is saying an immature Christian does. That's speech that tears down. A mature Christian, a renewed Christian, they speak in ways that build others up, that encourages them in their area of need. Okay, last example, forgiveness. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, in these verses, he, Paul gives a list of vices that we're to put off and a list of virtues that we're to put on. He actually gives a list in this one. Uh, but notice how the list is bookended. It starts with bitterness and it ends with forgiveness. Right? So bitterness is a starting point. Forgiveness is the end point of this list. And notice that what comes after bitterness is a list of the kinds of things that usually erupt when a person has harbored bitterness for a while. Rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice. Malice, by the way, is it's actually the intention to do evil to someone. So it's like the, this, this, right? It's the plotting of the evil. It's sitting down and thinking, oh, I, I know how I'll get them. That's what malice is. And so it starts with bitterness. I resent that person. And it goes all the way to malice. I'm going to harm that person. And then on the other side, you have kindness and compassion. And these are the kinds of virtues that actually flow out of forgiveness. So if you become a forgiving person, you become compassionate. You become kind. And so an immature Christian is one who holds on to bitterness. In other words, they keep a list of debts that others owe them. They hold on to and they harbor the ways that others have offended them. But what Paul is saying is that a mature, renewed Christian is one who forgives. For is in like beforehand or in advance. They give in advance. Forgiveness means giving beforehand, giving before it's deserved. A mature, renewed Christian doesn't keep a list of debts. A mature Renewed Christian actually pays the debts, takes on the debt. And notice what Paul says, how we're supposed to do it. He says, just as in Christ God forgave you. So those are our five examples. Truth, anger, money, speech, forgiveness. Uh, that's, these are examples of what a mature Christian looks like. They have a new relationship to those things. And do you see how practical it is? How practical these examples are? This is everyday stuff. This is like 
stuff that you're probably going to deal with later this afternoon or even before you leave today. Uh, this is real practical stuff. And what's the point of all this? Well, what, what's it saying? It's saying to put off lying and put on truth. Put off stealing and put on generosity. Put off bitterness, put on forgiveness. It's saying that when you're, when you're lying, don't tell and you like or feel convicted. Don't just tell yourself, oh, just don't lie, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie. Or when you're bitter, it's not just say, it's saying, don't just say, don't be bitter, don't be bitter, don't be bitter. Or when you're angry, don't be angry, don't be angry. It's not exactly what it's saying. Because uh, if you do that, then you're just empty. And by the way, if you're empty, then verse 27 comes, uh, comes to life. Where it says, uh, don't give the devil a foothold. And what that means is, that don't give the, the devil a way for his life to enter into your life in the same way that you should be giving Christ a way to enter into your life. And so it's not just put off. That's not the language, right? The language is not put off, but also then put on. And by the way, also, it doesn't work to just try and stop doing something, does it? It just doesn't work. Like, how many times have you tried that? It just, it literally just doesn't work. Um, I mean, it might work for a minute, but it doesn't really change you. I mean, think about it like this. How many times have you gone on a diet? I mean, maybe some of you don't need to do that, but someone like me does. Um, how many times have you gone on a diet or you know someone, you're not the kind of person that needs that, um, and they've gone on, on a diet? And what they do is they just, they just don't eat for a while. Right? It's just, I'll just stop eating these things. Uh, and so they just stop eating. And it might work for a little bit, but it, it never works to just not eat, does it? Eventually you get hungry and so you eat something. And oftentimes, if you're like me, you go back to your old comfort foods because you feel really uncomfortable. So what do you want to do when you're uncomfortable? You want to find comfort. So you go back to the comfort foods. And then you might even eat more of those than you normally would have because you really miss them. Um, and uh, so just being empty, it doesn't really change you. It doesn't really mature you. What do you have to do? Well, good nutritional theory says you replace the old foods with new, healthier foods. You replace the old eating patterns with the new, healthier ones. And that's what this text is saying. It's, it's actually leading us to a principle, which is the second point. Um, so here's the principle, the second point, principle behind a renewed life. And you find it back in verse 25, again, in that language of putting off. The principle that's woven all through chapter 4, it even shows up again in chapter 5, verse 1, when it says, follow God's example. And then again in verse 2, when it says, walk in the way of love. So here it is. Here's the principle. You ready? This is, this is maybe where you want to take those notes. Here it is. Oh, there goes an umbrella. Um, here's the principle. The more you do it, the more you become it. That's the principle. The more you do it, the more you become it. So the more you tell the truth, the more you become the kind of person who is a truth teller. The more you don't sit in your anger, the more you become the kind of person who doesn't sin in their anger. The more you give, the more you become a giving and generous person. The more you encourage, the more of an encourager. So do you see the principle? The more you do it, the more you become it. That's the principle. Now I want to show you how it works because the good news is you don't you don't have to do that on your own. So you don't have to endure all of that on your own. It actually works through cooperation. And earlier I skipped over a verse. Did you notice that? You shouldn't let me do that. Don't let me skip over parts of the Bible. Uh, I skipped over a verse, verse 30. So let's look at it. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Now, the truth that we've been thinking about through our entire study of Ephesians 
is this. Renewal always comes from the outside in. It comes from God the Father in Christ into our lives. Um, And once it's in, we've been learning, once it's in there, once renewal comes in, once the life of Christ comes into your life, once it's in your life, then it always works itself out practically. It always works itself out in the things that you do, the way that you think, the, the words that you say. And what verse 30 is saying is that the way that God renews, the way renewal works, the way Christian maturity works, is through the work of the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has been given God's Holy Spirit to come and live inside of them. That's what it means when it says in verse 30, we were sealed with him. What that means is that every single person who, uh, the moment they become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of them. We were sealed with him. But verse 30 also talks about a permanent arrangement. That's what it means when it says until the day of redemption. It means permanent until the last day. And so it's important to know that elsewhere in the New Testament says that Christians, they don't only get part of the Holy Spirit. So you don't get some of him. It's not like God's divided him up and, you know, you get your percentage of the the Spirit. Uh, You don't get some of him. The Holy Spirit is a person. You can't be divided. And And also you don't get an increasing amount of the Holy Spirit over time. So when you become a Christian, God sends you his spirit in fullness forever. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit in fullness, living and dwelling inside of them forever. It says you were sealed with him until the day of redemption. So let's try and put this all together then. Here's what the text is saying. That Christian maturity is a cooperation between you and the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. And so what this means is, uh, sorry, this is what it means when it says... Don't grieve the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. Um, That's a strange statement. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. That word grieve, it's used all over the New Testament to express uh, disappointment or distress. uh, But mostly it's used to express sorrow or sadness. So the text is saying, "Don't, don't make the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you sad. Don't make him sad. See, the Holy Spirit brings with him this renewed, mature life. Brings it with him. And the Holy Spirit wants nothing more than for that renewed, mature life to grow in you. Romans 5.5 says that God pours his love out into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Back in Ephesians 3, it says that as Christ dwells in our hearts through the Holy Spirit... It says that we can be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. That's what the Holy Spirit brings into our lives. All the measure of the fullness of God. And that's what the Spirit of God wants to do in our lives, to fill us with that. So that our life is like his life. And when we don't live that way, then we grieve the Spirit. When we reject the work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, he's grieved, he's sad, he's disappointed. And so what's the answer? Well, the answer then is to cooperate with God's Holy Spirit, to work with him to both actively live out this mature Christian life and at the same time to receive it from him. Um, Let me try and illustrate it. Uh, Have you ever seen an x-ray of a baby's head? Have you ever seen it? Uh, Feel free to Google it now. It will freak you out. But if you were to look at an x-ray of a baby's head, um, like before their teeth come in, do you know what you would find? All of their teeth. The baby teeth 
and then behind that, the adult teeth, they're all in there. Is the creepiest thing you've ever seen. Uh, but they're all, it's all in there. And so uh, over time, you know, what happens over time is, well, first the, the baby teeth come in, and then what happens? The, the mature adult teeth, they push the baby teeth out so that as the child matures and becomes an adult, the, the mature teeth are there. And that's one picture of how this works itself out in our lives. That when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, all the fullness of God is in there. It's all in there. And what God's Spirit wants to do is push out the old self and bring about the new self. Um, that's God's Spirit. Now, do you remember when you were a kid? You, do you remember how you cooperated with that when you were a kid? Right? You'd, you'd wiggle the tooth. You'd eat the apple. Anyone ever tie it to a string and slam the door? Right? We cooperate, right? We want... We want the new teeth to come in. And that's the picture. Um, and the picture is that all the fullness of God is in there. The Spirit just wants to bring it out. Uh, the other illustration, I'm not going to go into it, but that's the, that's the illustration of the passage, right? It's putting off the old clothes and putting on the new. Uh, do you remember the episode of Friends when Joey puts on all the clothes? Um, that's, in a sense, that's maybe what we're trying to do. We want to hold on to the old self but also put on the new. And obviously that didn't work for Joey. Uh, it doesn't work for us either. Um, the picture here is to put off the old and then put on the new. Um, and so here's what these illustrations show us, that if you are a Christian, that is if the Holy Spirit is living within you, and if you are a Christian, he is, you already have every resource that you need to be a mature Christian. You already have it. It's in there. God put it in there the moment you became a Christian, remember? Renewal from the outside in, God puts it in, and it works itself out. So it's in there like an adult tooth that really wants to come out. Uh, but we also have to do our job of day by day, little by little, putting off the old self and putting on the new. And so the more we tell the truth instead of telling a lie, the more we become the kind of people who tell the truth. The more we are angry without sin, the more we become the kind of people who are angry without sin. You see how that works? And then the Holy Spirit cooperates with you to change your character, to make you more and more like Christ. And so we do it in cooperation with the Spirit, with whom we are sealed until the day of redemption. So that's the principle. But there's also one other thing the Holy Spirit delights to do if we'll let him, and if we cooperate with him. And that is he wants to give us a new focus. And this actually gets at our motivation for wanting to become mature. So this is our third point, and it's not very long. Uh, the third point is the focus of a renewed life. Uh, you see it in verse 32 of chapter 4. You see it in verse 2 of chapter 5. In verse 32, it says, uh, to forgive others. Notice it says, just as in Christ God forgave you. And in chapter 5, verse 2, it says, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so what's he saying when he says, forgive just as in Christ God forgave you? What's he saying when he says, love just as Christ loved? What's he saying in uh, chapter 5, verse 1, when he says, follow God's example? What's he saying? Well, he's, he's saying to imitate. He's saying to copy. He's saying to emulate. And how do you copy something? Well, you have to look at it, right? You have to look at it. What if I, um, you have to really focus on it, study it. Uh, what if I told you that uh, you don't actually have to go to Paris to see the Mona Lisa? Uh, you don't have to go to the Louvre and you don't have to push 
through the crowd to get to the front to be still like 10 or 12 or 15 feet away from this tiny painting behind a thick pane of glass. What if I told you you could actually just walk straight up to it and, you know, maybe it would set off an alarm, but you could actually reach out and touch it. Um, there is actually a place you can go and do that. Uh, there's a museum in the city we used to live um, called the Walker Art Gallery. And in that art gallery, there's an almost perfect 17th century copy of the Mona Lisa. Um, almost perfect. Stroke by stroke, brush by brush. Uh, almost perfect copy, a near perfect representation of the actual painting. Uh, it's so good, the reason it ended up in a museum is that, uh, I don't know if you know this, but the Mona Lisa wasn't famous until it got stolen in the early 20th century. And it was missing for like two or three years. Uh, and then it became famous after that. Well, this copy was so good that um, art experts were like, yeah, I think that's it. We'll buy it and put it in this museum. Uh, that's how good the copy was. They thought it was the real thing. Now, how did the artist make such a good copy? Did they like look at it one time and then just go into, no, they, they must have stared at it. They must have gazed at it. They must have spent time with it. They probably practiced brush strokes on different canvases to like work it out and try and become almost like almost like Da Vinci himself. And that's a picture of what this text is saying to us, that if you really want to become mature, if you really want to be renewed, what it's saying is look at the original. Look at the real thing. If you want to become the kind of person who forgives, if you want to become the kind of person who loves, who speaks truth, who's generous, who's kind and compassionate, if you want to become that person, what does Paul say to do? Well, he says to look at Christ, who is the fullness of God in bodily form to look at him. Look at Christ who never spoke an untrue word. Look at Christ who never sinned in his anger. Look at Christ who poured himself out in generosity. Look at Christ who never said an unwholesome thing, but only ever built others up with his word. Look at Christ who is the word himself in the flesh. Look at Christ who's filled with kindness and compassion, who enacted the ultimate act of forgiveness at the cross. If you want to become that kind of person, Look at him. And, and actually, he says, don't just look at him, but, but look at what he did. It says in verse 2, he loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, what is that? that that's atonement language there. Do you know what atonement is? It's payment. It's reparation. It's like, this, is, this needs to be dealt with. And atoning is like, okay, someone goes and deals with it. And what this is saying is that Jesus Christ, out of love, made atonement for us. And just... Think about that for a second. Do you know how monumental that is? Let me put it like this. Do you, do you know that sense of guilt or shame that you feel when you do tell a lie or when you do steal or when you, when you do speak something that tears people down? Or, do you know that sense of guilt or shame that you feel when you do that? When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died to atone for that guilt. He died to atone for it. He died to, to deal, to pay for that shame. He took all the guilt and shame upon himself. And when you put your faith in him, then, then he gives you his righteousness. He gives you his holiness. He gives you his goodness. That's the Christian gospel, that every single one of us actually does need to atone for our wrongs. But in Christ, it says, it says, in Christ, God forgave you. And what this text is saying is that the more we focus on that act and on that person, the person of Jesus Christ, the more we'll become the kind of people who want to live a life like his. 
I remember what I said at the start of point three, the Holy Spirit delights to point you to Christ. He wants you to focus on Christ. That's one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And so do you want to put off your old self? Do you want to live in the new? Do you want to be done with the old patterns of sin? Do you want to be done with doing the things you hate? Do you want to actually do the things that you desire to do, the good things that you desire to do? Do you want, it? Do you want that? Very practically, this text says that is done through cooperating with the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells inside of you if you're a Christian. The more you tell the truth, the more the Spirit works with you to help you become the kind of person who tells the truth. The more you speak only what builds others up, the more the Spirit works within you to help you become the kind of person who only speaks what builds others up, and so on and so forth. And there's a really practical way in our church that we talk about how this happens. Uh, we talk about it, again, we talk about using this word renewal, uh, and we, uh, we actually talk about how there's four postures to renewal. You see it all over the Bible, um, and the postures are up, down, up, and out. So you look up, you look down, you're lifted up, and you go out. Um, and it seems that when you read both the Old and New Testament people who experience renewal, who become mature, they go through these four postures in one way or another. And so it seems the Holy Spirit works through these. And so looking up, you look up to worship God and his goodness and his righteousness. You look up to worship him. And then that should cause you then to look down. You look down in confession of how you've not been good, how you've not been righteous, how you've wronged God, how you've wronged others. But then through Christ, through the gospel, God lifts you up. He lifts you up, it says, uh, through the forgiveness that comes in Christ. And then out, God sends us out to live this renewed life and to invite others to live it too. That's what it looks like. Very practically, if you can regularly put yourself in those four postures, you can grow, you can become mature. It's, it really is that simple. On the one hand, it's really, really that simple. Now, on the other hand, of course, it's really hard. It's really hard to give up the old self. But you have the Holy Spirit and you have the church to help you. And so very practically, that's what it looks like. So it looks like to grow. It's what it looks like to become mature. It's what it looks like to bridge the, the gap. And so why don't I pray and ask the Spirit to really do that work in us. Um, our Father, we, we do need your Spirit's help. We need the Spirit to work in us to bring about this new life. And so, Father, help us to yield ourselves to him. Help us to cooperate with the Spirit. And, Lord, make us mature. Make us like Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.